0: We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 64 today as we begin our, our Advent series for 2023. I mentioned earlier the, the theme this year for our Advent series is, is waiting, and in particular, waiting for our God. And if you could summarize um, what Advent is all about in one word, it would be the word Waiting. Um, Advent is a a season of waiting, and, and not just waiting for Christmas, although, you know, I'm sure kids, you're, you're excited about Christmas later this month, and, and all of us, you know, are, are anticipating that, that great celebration of, of Jesus' birth at Bethlehem, but, but Advent's actually about more than Christmas. The, during Advent, we not only look back to Jesus' first coming and rejoice that the the long-awaited Savior has been born, we we look forward to his second coming. We as the church, as as those who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by Jesus Christ, we we look ahead and we long and we wait and we yearn for Jesus to come again and make all things new. And, And the season of Advent helps us to do that. Uh, the, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that um, there's a sense in which the whole of our life as Christians is a season of Advent, as we we live between the comings of Jesus Christ, His first advent and His second advent. We are Advent people, people who wait, people who yearn for Christ to return. And and I don't I don't know. Um, Exactly, but I, I suspect that many of you feel like you've been in a long season of waiting. It could be any number of, of things. Again, kids, you, you might be waiting for Christmas break to come, you know, some time off of school and then the, the holidays. Maybe you've been waiting to finish a project at work and you can't wait to uh, wrap it up and, and move on. Maybe um, you're waiting for just a, a little bit more financial security in, in your life so that you don't have to uh, work yourself to death. Maybe um, you're waiting for a broken relationship to, to be restored. Maybe, um, maybe you're just waiting for the darkness to lift. Maybe um, you're just waiting and you don't even know what you're waiting for. You just sense deep inside yourself that, that there's got to be something Ahead, um, Christians are waiting people. As I said, we're we're Advent people, people who wait for their God, and, and we're looking at Isaiah 64 today, which is a, a passage about waiting for God. Isaiah 64 is a it's a prayer. It's actually the last part of a, a lengthy prayer, and um, it's it's a communal prayer. The 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 people offer up. The people of Israel offer up a prayer to God through the prophet Isaiah. He speaks on their behalf, and their hopes and dreams have been shattered at this stage in the book of Isaiah. Their their whole world has collapsed. This this last part of Isaiah, chapters forty through sixty-six, it has the the Babylonian invasion in view, and and. All that went along with that, the destruction of Jerusalem, the the exile and the aftermath. And in the preceding chapters, the chapters before Isaiah sixty-four, God makes promise after promise to deliver his people. He he promises to come and set everything right, and now they're waiting. They're they're yearning for that day that God shows up, and so they they pray this prayer. This prayer of, of waiting and longing, they, they pray through Isaiah. And, and this prayer shows us what waiting for God looks like. And it shows us three things. Waiting for God looks like longing, it looks like confessing, and it looks like hoping. I, waiting for God looks like longing for him to break into our lives. It looks like confessing our sins to him. And it looks like hoping in his promise to set everything right. So let me read um, the, the chapter for you, Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll pray. This is God's word. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in, in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt, In the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness, Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation, our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Father in heaven, would you teach us to wait on you today? We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, what does waiting for God look like? Uh, first, it looks like longing for Him to break into our lives. Longing for Him to break into our lives. We see this in the, the opening section of the prayer. Look at again at how it begins. I mean, Isaiah. He calls out to God, "Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down." Isaiah yearns for God to show up, for God to break in, for him to make His presence and His power felt. And this language about rending the heavens, Isaiah pictures the heavens as this, this giant curtain that in a sense, it hides God from our view. And, and Isaiah is saying, Lord, we, we need you to tear apart that curtain and show yourself and come down and, and help us. It's a desperate prayer, a, a longing prayer that God would split the heavens and, and come down in his power and his glory. And, and Isaiah says, because when, when God shows up, when God breaks into this world, when God breaks into our lives, things happen. And Isaiah says here, you know, the, the mountains quake and there's fire. Um, and, and so Isaiah says, Lord, we need you. We need you to come in your power and your glory to step down into this world and, and change things. It's a big prayer, uh, it, it's a serious prayer. Rend the heavens. And, and Isaiah acknowledges this isn't mere wishful thinking. He says in verse 3, Lord, you've done this before. We've seen you show your power and your grace for us. He says, you did awesome things, things we didn't even expect. I, I, I love that statement, that, that our God is one. He just—he surprises us with his grace and his, and his power. Isaiah says, we weren't looking for it, but you showed up and, and delivered us. And Isaiah's probably... Uh, thinking here of, of the Exodus, that, that pivotal event in Israel's history, way back at the, the beginning of Israel's existence, God rescues them from Egypt in, in quite dramatically, right? You remember the, the plagues and all that went along with that. And then even after getting out of Egypt, Israel finds itself hemmed in at the Red Sea. And surprised, God makes a way through the sea for his people who would have thought and then he, he, he brings them to Sinai, and, and God descends on the mountain at Sinai to meet with Moses, and the fire and the smoke, and the, and the mountain quakes. The, the people see God's presence and power on display at, at Sinai. And, and all of this is just etched in, in Israel's collective memory. That is the, the event that defines them, God coming to their rescue like that. And so Isaiah and and the people, they they look back. They look back at what God had done for them way back in the past in their history, much in the same way that that we as Christian people look back and we say, God fulfilled his promises in Christ. He sent the Messiah. And by looking back, it it makes them long for God to do something like that again. And and Isaiah says in verses 4 and 5, we're, we're waiting for you because this is the kind of God you are a god who acts for those who wait for him he says no one's ever seen a, a god like this and if you if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah and his um, uh, his critiques of, of idols and idol worship and these these man-made gods that that need people to set them up on the table and, and keep them from falling over and he says but But our God, the God of Israel, is is completely unique. A God who who works, who acts for his people who who wait for him. A God who shows up and steps down into the chaos and the mess. A God who breaks into our lives with his grace and his power and changes things. So Isaiah longs as as he waits for God. he, He longs for God to show up and I don't know what the idea of waiting brings to mind for you. When I think of waiting, I, I, I picture, you know, sitting in the, the waiting room at the doctor's office, um, waiting for the nurse to call me back. It's it's not an exciting time, right? I mean, it's, it's not very productive. Most of us probably have our faces glued to our phone at that point, um, scrolling through the news or, or email. You're just sitting there doing nothing, but... Waiting for God is not the same as doing nothing. You know, picture, picture little kids on Christmas morning anticipating the, the moment when mom and dad say, All right, it's time. To tear open the presents. Um, waiting for God is about living expectantly. It, it, it's about expecting God to show up and, and do things, for God to, to help. Um, this past week, I've been just reflecting on, on Isaiah's longing here and his prayer for God to break in. And, and I've had to ask myself, do, do I believe that God is a God who works for those who wait for him? And, and, and I've had to conclude, um, not really, not like I should, and, and you know how I can tell is I don't pray like this, or at least not often enough. Um, Maybe you can relate. You know, there's a a difficult situation, and and my initial reaction is to get anxious. Um, My body tenses up. Um, I start thinking of all the terrible ways this could turn out. Apparently, I clench my teeth. I I went and saw the dentist uh, recently, and he said, You have a problem. (laughs) You've done some damage. And, and, and I worry and I fret and I try to plan and strategize. And then maybe like an hour later, maybe sometimes days later, I remember, oh, I should pray about this. <laughs> I, I, I should go to God uh, about this. And, and maybe you can relate. I, I'm not desperate praying, oh, oh God, this, this situation, I don't know what to do. Rend the heavens and come down. <laughs> do something here. Show up for us. Help us. And, and so this this week, I, I've tried to start um, doing something. that I'd invite you to do the same. And in, in those difficult situations, before you do the whole anxious thing, before you do the whole, you know, trying to fix it all yourself and come up with a solution, just pause and pray. Pray to the God who acts for those who wait for him. And, and, and maybe we might be a little, um, you know, uh, hesitant to pray something like Isaiah prays, "Rend the heavens and come down." You know, maybe that's a little too much to ask uh, of God, but but it's really not. It's not presumptuous. We we belong to a big God, and He can handle big prayers. I mean, Paul reminds us in Ephesians three that our God can do immeasurably more than we can even think or imagine, and so God loves to work for those who wait for Him for those who call out to him and say, Lord, you are our only hope. We need you. We need you here and we need you now. So waiting for God looks like longing for him to break into our lives. But it's about more when we call on God to break in. It's about more than just the problems out there. It's also a call to God to break into the problems and deal with the problems in here in our own hearts and lives, the sin problem in our hearts and lives. And so second, waiting for God looks like confessing our sins to him. And so Isaiah, you know, he begins with this appeal to God to come down, to break in, and then in the second half of verse 5, he begins to confess his sins, the sins of the people. And he says there in in verse 5, essentially, we are seasoned sinners, In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? In other words, um, this isn't a new thing for us, God. We've been at this a long time. And he confesses that it it goes deep. Look at the pictures he he paints in verse 6. He says, all of us, each and every one of us, is unclean. We're unfit. We're unfit. For God's presence, um, dirty and, and stained by our sins, we're, we're infected with sin. Um, he says, even at our best, um, we're we don't we're not as good as we look. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, and um, it's very graphic language. Um, it refers to a menstrual cloth. We're unclean. We're we're polluted, and and in our sin, he says there. We, are, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We're just, our, our sin has made us dry, lifeless, brittle like leaves, sapped of life and vitality, carried away by the wind. And then verse 7, um, just further uh, indicting us, we, we try to do life on our own. It says, there's no one who calls on your name. Uh, who rouses himself to take hold of you. And so Isaiah, in, in his desperation, calls out to God, longs for God to break in, but, but he immediately goes to confession. And, and, and the reason is if we long for God to break into our lives, to really stir things up and, and change things, we have to see ourselves for who we really are. See, so we have to be honest about Ourselves and honest to God about our sins and, and and you know this but but we need to be reminded hiding our sins is pointless right I mean God already knows all about them and yet we um, that's often what we try to do we, we 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 sin and we we might feel guilty we just try to sweep it under the rug let's let's just move on not think about it and and I promise myself I'll, I'll do better next time but there's actually a, a better way for dealing with our sins. It's it's not hiding, but rather confessing our sins to God. Um, Confession is just a a basic practice of a follower of Jesus. It's, you know, in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. He told us to pray that God would give us our daily bread. You know, Lord, provide for our needs each and every day. We depend on you each and every day. And then right after that, the very next petition is, is about what? It's about sins. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive our debts. We, we confess our sins and, and ask for forgiveness. Confession is just a part of the daily rhythm of, of the Christian life. And and to be clear, confession doesn't atone for our sins. You know, we don't need to confess our sins in order to, to merit Uh, God's forgiveness. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished the atonement for our sins. Uh, The very moment we believed, we were forgiven. But but confession, this daily practice that Christians have, have always practiced, it's part of how we live each day in the cleansing that Jesus accomplished. It's how we... We appropriate and draw on the, the work that Jesus has done, and 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 maybe you hear this this talk about confessing sins, and you're like, I, I don't know about that. That just sounds so um, morbid, so um, uh, introspective. You know, as if we're just you know beating ourselves up every day and and feeling terrible about ourselves um, all the time, and um, you know confession is painful, right? I mean, to go before God and to say, uh, I, "Lord, I did it again." Lord, you know, I just this sin, and I keep coming back to it again and again, and and I'm and I'm just here confessing it for like the fifth time this week. I mean, it, it's hard. It's never easy to face up to the truth about yourself. But but friends, we are. We are if we're Christian people, we are gospel people and the gospel gives us a, a new perspective on forgiveness. Because of the forgiveness, it gives us a new perspective on confession. The the forgiveness we have because of Christ enables us to be open and unafraid before God. We we can come to our God with our sins, and and know that Jesus' blood is sufficient for every one of them. We we can come before God and say, Yeah, God, I did it again, and and I'm truly sorry, and I repent of my sins, and I need your forgiveness, and I'm going to claim that forgiveness. You promise, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me because of Christ. And so I'm not just going to hide. I'm not going to wallow. I'm going to come and and get. Uh, cleansing and forgiveness from you. We we come before God with our sins, knowing He doesn't expect us to bear the weight of of our guilt and shame because Jesus bore it at the cross. And friends, uh, confession—it's it, so vital to our lives as Christians. It 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 clears away all the relational junk that that builds up as we go about our days and. And weeks, it, it, it wipes away the the guilt and the shame and the, and the fear that gets between us and God. Uh, you know, confession is a, is about daily receiving fresh forgiveness and assurance from God that, that in Christ our sins are forgiven. And and I'd encourage you if um, if daily confession is a not not already a part of your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd encourage you to make it part of your daily practice. I mean, it makes sense to confess sins daily. We sin daily. Um, And and it doesn't need to be some, you know, elaborate process, uh, hours on your knees before God, just trying to rack your brain for for everything you've done. It it, it could just be a few minutes maybe toward the end of the day. you, You just review your day. Where, where have I seen myself, you know, being impatient and, and irritable, maybe, maybe at work, maybe with my family? Where, where have I found myself being, you know, angry or, um, or where have I found myself just being discontent and, and complaining and, and not trusting God? And you just, you confess those sins as, as they come to mind and, and you receive forgiveness. You receive the cleansing that God promises and you and you rejoice in God's grace. You might actually sleep better at night if you spend a few moments confessing your sins um, in, in the evening. And, and so what does waiting for God look like? It, it looks like longing for him to break in to our lives. It looks like confessing our sins to him. And third, it looks like hoping in his promise to set things right. Hoping in his promise to set things right. Now this this final section of the prayer, verses 8 to 12, it, it sounds the, the note of hope. Um, yes, we've been in our sins a long time, Isaiah says. But he turns to hope. And here's what we need to see about hope. Uh, Christian hope, it, it's both honest and stubborn. Christian hope, it's, it's, it's very honest about the way things are, and it stubbornly clings to God's promises. I mean, it, it's honest. Look at how Isaiah prays in, in verses 10 and 11 uh, there. He, he surveys the scene. He, he looks at uh, the situation and, and just, um, it's not good. Uh, Zion, verse 10, is, is a wilderness. Jerusalem is in ruins. Um, verse 11, the temple, the, the centerpiece of Israel's national life, the, the place where God's people gathered to, to sing his praises and to experience his presence. It's a pile of ashes, Isaiah says. You know, everything's gone. As, as Isaiah uh, surveys the scene. All the familiar things, everything that gave Israel a sense of security, it's, it's all been destroyed. And, and Isaiah's prayer is honest here to, to God. He's saying, look, God, things are broken. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. I mean, God, just look. Your holy city has been ransacked and destroyed. But even amid the, the rubble, Isaiah demonstrates stubborn hope. I mean, do you see it there in, in verse 12? At first, it might not sound like hope, but but he says, God, will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? It, it, that's not a word of despair. That's a prayer of hope. That's, that's Isaiah saying, look, Lord, Jerusalem is a, is a broken down mess and, and things are not the way they're supposed to be, but we know you're going to do something about it. You're not just going to stand there silently and forget about us. We know you're going to show up and set things right. I mean, it, it's an audacious prayer. I mean, where does Isaiah get this, this confidence and this hope from? Why does he refuse to accept brokenness as a permanent state of affairs, well, the the answer is simple, because of who God is, because of the promises He's made. If you if you go back a few verses, verse eight, Isaiah says, "You're our Father. We're the clay. You're the Potter. We're all the work of Your hand." Verse nine, the end of verse nine, look, Lord, behold, look, we are all Your people. <laughs> In other words. We know you're going to fix this mess because you're our Father in heaven. We belong to you. you you've you bound yourself to us by covenant and, and you've promised, Lord, to set things right. And if you go back and read um, Isaiah, starting at chapter 40 and, and all the way through the end of the book, chapter 66, I mean, God just makes tremendous promise after promise to his people. Promises about restoration, promises of renewal, these wonderful promises. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. God's going to send them packing their bags. No more death. A new heavens and a new earth. Just all these promises. And Isaiah stubbornly clinging to those promises, standing there in the midst of the rubble saying, Lord, I know you're going to show up. I know you're going to do something. This is stubborn hope. This is what what Advent hope is all about. This is how Advent people pray. You see, Christian hope is—it's not naive optimism. And you know, it's important for us to understand. We we use the word hope about such trivial things, right? So I, I hope the weather is is better tomorrow, and it's just a. There's no substance to it. It's just a a wish, but Christian hope isn't some naive optimism that, that things are not really that bad or just closing our eyes to the, the ugly realities of this world. Um, I love the Christmas season. You know, I, I love the lights. I love the presents. I like the, you know, the ugly sweaters, the, the happy songs, um, the, the eggnog, all of it. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. You know, people are smiling, and they're spreading Christmas cheer, and maybe. And, 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 you know, and all of it, increasingly, it starts before Thanksgiving, right? I mean, uh, I went into Home Depot way before Thanksgiving, and they already had the lights and the trees and, and everything. And, and look, I, I enjoy all that. And some of you are maybe starting to think, uh-oh, he, he sounds a little bit like a Grinch. Um, I hope he's not preaching the Christmas sermon um, I, I'm not, Craig is. But I, I'm all for, for celebrating. We should celebrate at this time of year, but, but not by putting our heads in the sand and pretending that everything's okay. I mean, not everything is merry and bright. As much as the commercials tell us, it is. It, it, not everything is, is merry and bright. Our, our Christmas joy, it, it's hollow if we don't acknowledge first the, the grief and the pain and the brokenness that, that's in our lives and, and all around us. And so Advent hope, this, this Christian hope, it's it's honest about the way things are, but we don't stop there. We stubbornly cling to God's promises. You know, as, as people who belong to this God who acts for those who wait for him. We refuse to believe that things will always be this way. We, we can lament that they are this way. And we can say, God, this world is broken. It's not the way that you designed it to be. It's not the way that you meant it to be. But we know that it's not always going to be this way. You promise to make all things new. And you, you know what stubborn hope looks like? It looks like the prayer, your kingdom come." Things are not the way they're supposed to be, but God has promised to set everything right again in Christ, and so we keep praying for the kingdom to come in all its fullness. We keep waiting on God in the darkness and the brokenness. We keep trusting Him to to break into our lives because that's the kind of God He is a God who shows up for those who wait for Him. Now, I, I don't think Isaiah could have ever imagined how God would fulfill this prayer, how God would answer this request. I mean, God did rend the heavens and come down, and, and, but there was no earthquake. There was no um, fire or smoke. I mean, when, when God came, he came as a, a little baby, born to a, an unmarried Jewish teenager. A uh, nobody from Nowheresville, and and when God came, it wasn't to destroy his enemies. He came as a suffering servant to die for his enemies. And our God came down in Jesus Christ and defeated sin and death. Our God went down into the grave and came up on the other side, risen victorious. Because he did that, we, we have hope that he will come again and make all things new. Um, that's the beauty of the Advent season. It, it's not simply a long preparation to Christmas, you know, we're just trying to drag things out because it, it's, you know, the songs are nice and we like the lights. It's, it's an exercise of hope. The Advent season invites us to exercise these muscles of hope, to orient ourselves to God's promise. And it reminds us that the Lord has come. And it invites us to pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The whole of our lives, the whole of our lives is an Advent season. A season of waiting for our God and Savior Jesus Christ to come. And so we, we not only sing, we pray and long, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Let me pray for us. Our God, we pray that you would steady us as we wait and long. For that day you've promised, when Emmanuel comes again, when he comes and sets everything right, we pray that you would strengthen us as you've promised, that you would sustain us as we wait and long, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.